Well, listen, let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. All right, God, we love you so much and we are grateful for your love for us. God, I'm just thankful that what we sing is true, that we have not gathered here today to remember a dead God. We have come to celebrate a risen Savior. And God, I believe that there are people in this room right now who walked in and need some type of resurrection to take place in their life. God, they're struggling. They're they're asking questions. They're trying to figure out why life isn't what they want it to be. And God, my prayer is that today you would take the blinders off of their eyes and off of their hearts. God, help them to see that the life they want can only be found in you. So God, as we open your word today, my prayer is that you would make it come alive for us. God, speak to us loudly and clearly. Do things in our lives that only you can do. And God, we trust you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and grab a seat. And as you're being seated, let me just welcome you again to Easter at Cross Point. If you're new in the house, maybe this is your first time or first time in a long time. Uh, My name is James. I'm the lead pastor here. And I just want you to know how honored we are to have you as our guest. We've been planning for you and praying for you literally for months now. And our specific prayer has been that you would show up this weekend and encounter Jesus in such a way that your life might be forever changed. So with that said, we're going to grab our Bibles and get to work, all right? So if you have one or if you have a device with some kind of Bible app, grab them and let's go to Romans chapter 6 together. Romans chapter 6. Have you ever met a person who's alive yet they're not truly living? You know what I'm talking about? It's one of those people who have blood pumping through their veins, breath in their lungs, yet they just sort of drift through the monotony of life with no real sense of peace, purpose, or joy. And even though they pretend like everything's okay, nothing could be further from the truth. Have you ever met a person like this? Somebody who's alive but not truly living? Look, I'll bear my soul for a moment and confess that there was a season of my life about 11 years ago when I was that person. After about being married for uh, a year, my wife and I decided that we were going to move to Miami, Florida and help some friends of ours plant a new church in South Beach. And so the plan was to move there, get a job, a full-time job while we got the church up and running because when you start a church with no money and no people, that's what you do, you know, unless you want to be homeless. And so I found this great job in business sales and the idea was that I'd stay in the job until the demands of ministry really picked up. And then I would resign from the job and invest all my time and energy into our reason for moving. Well, the opposite happened. About eight months in, the church we helped to start closed its doors and never opened them again. And so here I was stuck living in this city that in many ways was difficult to live in. And our entire reason for packing up our lives and moving had been stripped away. Now, life on the outside looked awesome. I was 24 years old and on track to make six figures in my first year sales. Uh, I drove a very expensive, really nice car that my company paid for. Uh, We lived in a condo on Miami Beach. And when I say like on Miami Beach, I mean, I walked out my front door across the street and my feet were on the sand, all right? We did what we wanted, bought what we wanted, went where we wanted, ate what we wanted, didn't really hold anything back from ourselves, yet I was completely miserable, It was one of two seasons in my life uh, during which I can say I was truly depressed. And in my depression, I I just kind of found myself going through the motions. You know, I'd get up each day and 
put on my shirt and tie, drive to the office in my nice new car, sit through a team meeting, make about 40 to 50 phone calls, hit the streets, do some cold calling, run some sales meetings. I'd come back to the office, debrief the day, go home, eat dinner, watch some TV, go to bed. Next day, do it all over again. Look, I say all that to say this. I know what it feels like to be alive, but not truly living. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. Like maybe you walked in as that person whose life on the outside looks awesome, right? You're successful. You have a lot of nice, new, shiny stuff. You hold very little back from yourself. But all those things simply mask the fact that on the inside, you feel like you are falling apart. Or maybe you're that person who's falling apart and you're not masking anything, Right, like what's happening on the outside is a reflection of what's going on on the inside. You have no joy, no peace, no purpose, and everybody knows it just by watching the way you live. Look, regardless of what person you might be, here's what I want you to know today. All right, please don't miss this. It is no mistake that you walk through the doors of Cross Point City Church this Easter. I believe that. You're not here on accident. You're not here by coincidence. Uh, you're here for a reason. There's a lot of other places you could have gone this morning, a lot of other churches you could have attended, but you're here. And I believe with all my heart that you're here because God in his sovereignty and out of his great love for you brought you here to say to you that because of what we showed up to celebrate, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, look, you don't have to stay stuck where you are. You don't have to continue down this road of, of being alive but not truly living. Everything in your life can change starting today. And for the next few moments, I want to share how and why that's true from the scriptures. So if your Bibles are already open to Romans 6, we're going to dive in and start reading in verse 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, all this will be on the screens. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one before you leave, all right? So just stop by our connection desk before you go, ask for a Bible, and that'll be our gift to you, all right? So here we go. Romans 6, starting in verse 5. Here's what it says. For if we've been united with him... The him there, that's Jesus, by the way. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, in these verses, we find a guy named Paul writing to a group of Christians in Rome. And he's basically declaring certain things that are true for them because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And his reason for doing so, as seen in verse 11, is to call them to live in accordance with those truths. Now, to make those truths understandable for us today, what I want to do is break this big passage that we could talk about for weeks down uh, into to two big points. And these points are going to reveal for us how to move from being alive to truly living. So if you're taking notes, point number one is this. Jesus came alive to make you alive now. Let me just say it again. Jesus came alive to make you alive now. Before we really start unpacking that, you need to know that there is nothing more important to the Christian faith than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like everything we believe hangs on its reality. In fact, Paul, the same Paul who wrote Romans, he says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if the resurrection never happened, that the world out there should feel sorry for all of us. 
And instead of being here together this morning, we should be out there with them eating, drinking, partying, and waiting to die. Which raises the question, what makes the resurrection that important? Well, at the risk of sounding overly simplistic, here's the most basic answer I can offer, all right? The resurrection proves, number one, that Jesus is actually God. And number two, it proves that he alone has the power to overcome the very thing that keeps people like us from truly living. So what is that thing? What is that thing that keeps people like us from truly living? Well, Paul talks about it in the verses we just read. It's this little thing called sin. The word that Paul uses for sin in these verses, it comes from a Greek word that simply means to miss the mark. And the idea is this, that God, out of his great love for us, has laid out uh, and established a certain way of life as revealed in his word, and that way of life both honors him and it's good for us. Well, when we miss the mark of living according to that way of life, it dishonors God, things go bad for us, and we're in sin. Now, if you know the answer to this, I want you to just say it out loud, all right? The really bad news, according to the Bible, about sin is that it leads where? Yeah, it leads to death, both physical death and spiritual death, meaning eternal separation from God. But please hear me. Listen, I need you to understand that sin doesn't only cause death later. It also causes death right now. You see, sin loves to kill things. It loves to kill things like your joy. It loves to put to death things like your purpose. It loves to lay waste to your satisfaction, to your contentment. Some of you will get this. Uh, It loves to bring death and destruction upon your relationships with other people. And so if you feel like some of those things have been put to death in you, chances are at some level you are missing the mark when it comes to living according to God's way of life. Because his way of life is designed to lead you to the very things you're missing out on. Now, the unfortunate news is you can't do anything to change that on your own. Like you can't leave here and just resolve, you know what, I'm gonna try what that guy said and I'm gonna work really hard to live differently so that I can give myself all those things I don't currently have. I'm just telling you, it doesn't work like that. And the reason it doesn't work is because of what Paul says in verse six. He points out for us that apart from Christ, every single one of us who are here today are slaves to sin, right? Sin masters us, it rules us, it holds authority and power over us. Paul suggests that it uses our bodies much like a vehicle to drive us where it wants us to go. And as hard as we may try, we can't do a single thing to break the power of sin in our lives. But look, that's okay because Jesus can. And Jesus did 2,000 years ago when he died and rose from the grave. And this is the point Paul's making in verses five through seven, Right, he starts with this enormous word that all these truths in this passage hang on. If, 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 if we have been united with him in a death like his. Now, I want to acknowledge before we unpack that, that's a strange statement, isn't it? Like, you ever read the Bible and just gloss by things like that without stopping to just think about how weird that is? If we've been united with him in a death like his? Like, how does that happen? Does that mean somebody has to nail us to a cross somewhere? Well, no, according to the Bible, we're united with Jesus in a death like his through faith. So in other words, being united with Jesus means that we believe in faith that 2,000 years ago, he died in our place for our sins to suffer the penalty of sin, both physical and spiritual death on our behalf. Paul teaches here that, that if we've been united with Jesus in death through faith, we'll certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And why, why? Well, because according to him, when Jesus was put to death on the cross 
that old you, if you know him, uh, that part of you that was once dominated and ruled by sin, it died right along with Christ so that your body of sin would be brought to nothing and you'd no longer be a slave to sin. Now, if that's confusing to you, here's the simple point Paul's making. He's just trying to get us to understand that because Jesus died and rose again, sin no longer has power or dominion over him. And if you've been united with Jesus in death through faith, the very things that are true for him are true for you right now, which means that in the present moment, sin no longer has power or dominion over you. Like I love the way he says this in verse seven. Uh, the one who's died has been set free from sin. I mean, that logic is, is uh, very applicable in terms of physical death, right? I mean, isn't it true that when a person dies physically, they are instantly freed from whatever plagued them in life? You know, debt, addiction, worry, anxiety, sickness, disease. The moment they die, that stuff's over. Well, Paul's teaching here that if you've been united with Jesus through faith, the same is true for you spiritually. Again, 2,000 years ago, in a way, it was like you were there dying on the cross with Jesus. And right now, in this present moment, the sin that plagues you has absolutely no power or authority over you if, in fact, you've been united with him. Now, here's what that means on a really practical level. Please don't miss it. Listen, it means that if you're someone in the room who is allowing sin to rule over you, it's not because you have to, it's because you're choosing to. Are you tracking with me? Y'all alive out there at 10 o'clock? Jesus is alive. Y'all alive? Yes? Are you with me? Look, here's all I'm saying. Either you're someone in the room who knows Jesus, yet for some reason you still believe the lie that you're in bondage to sin even though Christ has set you free, or you're someone in the room who's never been united with Jesus in death through faith, therefore sin is ruling over you and killing you. But either way, you are making a choice to be dominated and mastered by sin. And so my question for you today is this, why don't you make a different choice? Like Jesus came alive to make you alive, uh, alive right now. He wants you to know joy now. He wants you to know freedom now. He wants you to know purpose right now. So why wouldn't you choose those things now by choosing him? You see, through his death and resurrection, Jesus has not only defeated the penalty of sin for you, like, it always drives me crazy when I hear people who know Jesus go, yeah, you know, I mean, he saved me from hell, but I guess I just got to settle for, her, for uh, hell on earth as long as I'm alive because I just guess I'm always going to struggle. Like, you think that's the life God wants for you until the day you die one day? Are you kidding me? Yeah, Jesus died to suffer and overcome the penalty of sin on your behalf. But according to what Paul writes, he also overcame the power of sin in your life right now. But if you want to walk in that freedom... You have to choose Jesus day by day, moment by moment. That's how you truly come alive. Point number two is this. Jesus came alive to make you alive then. So according to Paul, he came alive to make you alive now, but he also came alive to make you alive then. In verses eight through 10, Paul begins speaking of future realities. And he uses that giant word again. If, if we have died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. And so Paul's referencing eternity here, and specifically what eternity will look like for those of us who've been united with Jesus in death through faith. Now, to help make sense of that, here's a really simple question I have for you. All right, you ready? Look, when death comes for you one day, and it overtakes you, like, what do you think's going to happen to you? And please understand, I'm not asking that to scare you or to be morbid. 
It's just that the last time I checked, the death rate was still one out of one, and so 100% of us are gonna face that reality at some point. So I'm just a guy who thinks we probably should think about it every once in a while, right? So look, as you think about it, what do you think's gonna happen? Like, are you someone in the room who believes that, that death is the end of life entirely for you? That they're gonna paint you up, put you in a box, stick you in the ground somewhere, and that's it? Or are you someone who believes, like many people do, in some type of life after death? Look, if you fall into that latter category, here's my next question. When death comes for you, how do you expect to defeat death so that you can experience that eternal life? You think you're gonna do it on your own? That by living a good enough life right now, that you're gonna confront death one day using all your good behavior and defeat it in hopes of ending up in some better place? Look, the reason these questions are so important is because of the claim Paul makes in these verses. And here's his claim. According to him, there's only one person who can save us from physical death and give us eternal life. And it's the one person in history that has defeated death forever, Jesus Christ. Now look, in case you're not sold on the impeccability of that logic, and you're thinking right now, well, James, why should I believe that, man? Like, why should I believe that Jesus defeated death forever and rose from the dead? And why should I believe that he's the only person out of every person that could defeat death for me and give me eternal life? Well, I think those are fair questions, and I want to try to get you some answers quickly if I can, all right? And so let's start with question one. Why should you believe that Jesus defeated death and rose from the grave? Uh, well, first, because all the historical evidence points to the fact that it actually happened. And look, I don't have time to get into all the details of this evidence, but I will share some of it quickly. Uh, know that this is not exhaustive, but it does make the point. All right, here we go. Number one, you should believe the resurrection happened because over 500 eyewitnesses saw Jesus alive after his resurrection took place. Like I need you to know that our faith is not founded on uh, you know, a couple of lies developed by some con men sitting on the back porch hoping to dupe the world. Our faith is founded on the eyewitness account of hundreds of people who saw Jesus die on a Friday and come back to life again on a Sunday. Number two, the disciples of Jesus who ran for their lives at the crucifixion just a short time later gave up their lives for Jesus for continuing to preach a message of a risen Savior. Number three, everyone knew where the tomb of Jesus was located, including the Romans who put guards outside of it. But for some reason, no one could seem to produce a body to counter the claims that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. And that's not just according to the Bible. That's according to Jewish historians like Josephus. Uh, number four, Jesus' family who thought he was crazy before the resurrection. And who can blame them, right? I mean, if you had a family member running around telling everybody he was God, you'd probably think he was crazy too, right? But I love it. After the resurrection, his family sat back and went, maybe he was telling the truth. We, we thought he was crazy, but uh, now we kind of think that he's God. And, and they actually, his own family, worshiped him as God after he came back to life. Likewise, number five, his enemies, some of his fiercest enemies did the same. I mean, these were people who hated Jesus, wanted him and his followers dead, and some of them became most of his devoted followers and even gave up their lives for their faith in him. And then lastly, I'll share this one because I think it's kind of fun. Uh, the early church changed the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday after the resurrection of Jesus. And they did it to celebrate Jesus on the day that he defeated death forever. And you might wonder, like, James, is that really that big of a deal? Yes, it's a huge deal. Have you ever tried to get church people to change anything? Right? Look, it can be extremely painful, especially if they've been doing it for thousands of years. And so as a pastor, I think this is great evidence that Jesus actually rose from the dead. 
Now, secondly, why should you believe that Jesus is the only one who can save you from physical death and give you eternal life? Well, here's the easiest answer I can offer today, all right? Jesus is the only person in history that predicted his own death and resurrection and then pulled the whole thing off. And look, I'm a simple guy, so maybe I'm oversimplifying this, but I just tend to believe that if a guy can pull off his own death and resurrection after predicting it, we might want to listen to what he has to say. And what does Jesus have to say? Well, he says to us, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't save yourselves. Nobody else can do it for you. I am the only one who can save you from sin, death, and hell and give you eternal life with me. Now, the final question in light of all that is this. What do we do with it? Like, how in the world should we respond today to all that Jesus has done to make us come alive? Well, I'm gonna give you two quick answers and we'll be done, all right? First is this. If you're someone in the room who knows Jesus, if you've been united with him in death through faith, to Paul's point in verse 11, consider yourself alive. Or some of your Bibles might say, count yourself alive. Or if you love reading the King James Bible, reckon yourself alive. Uh, Just at the end of the day, Paul's saying, act like you're alive. Stop living in bondage to sin. Stop believing that it it still has power and authority over you. Quit living a weak and defenseless life. Look, I'm human, so I understand that on certain days, you get out of bed and you feel like that, don't you? Or am I the only one? I mean, I think we all feel like that at times, right? But what we have to remember is that as believers in Christ, we don't live according to feelings, we live according to facts. And the facts, again, are these, that Jesus died and he rose from the dead. And when he died, the old us died with him. And when he rose from the grave, the new us came alive in him. And the new us is no longer under the authority and power of sin. God says you're alive. Paul says act like it. Number two, if you don't know Jesus today, if you're someone who's here and you have never been united with Jesus in death through faith, what you do, it's really simple. You ask Jesus to make you come alive. You ask Jesus to make you come alive. Christianity is counterintuitive in that it teaches death as preceding life. You know, in the natural world, it's the other way around. Life precedes death. In the supernatural world, God says, no, 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 uh, death precedes life. So in other words, if you wanna know a life of joy, of purpose, of freedom, at some point, you have to be willing to die to yourself. Meaning that in faith and humility, you let go of your life completely and you offer it to Jesus, trusting in him as the only one who can give you all those things you cannot give yourself. And the same is true for eternity. If you want eternal life with God one day, you have to trust in Jesus as the only one who can give it to you. And then at some point, you have to enter through death's doorway to get there. And so I just wanna say to you, if you've never died to self, And if you've never trusted in Jesus as the one who defeated death forever so that you could have eternal life, that's where you have to start. You have to ask Jesus to make you come alive. And I'll just be honest and plead with you a little bit if I can. Look, if you don't do that, nothing in your life will ever change. I can promise you that. You'll walk out of here and you might remember certain things I said today, but you can be sure that you'll continue to live the same broken down, beat up, discouraged life you've always known. And you'll get out of bed tomorrow and wonder why you still feel the way you do. And in a few weeks, you'll wonder why your life is heading in the direction it's heading in. And the the answer is really simple. You've never asked Jesus to make you come alive. He and he alone can give you the life you want and need. And if you don't do this again at the end of your life, physical death will come and overtake you. 
and at the same time, spiritual death will overtake you. And all I'm saying is, why would you want to suffer through those things when Jesus Christ has suffered them on your behalf and you can choose him and choose life in its place? As we get ready to close, uh, I have a friend in our church whose story is an incredible picture of what Jesus can do in the life of a person who is alive but not truly living. And I wanna share his story with you this morning in hopes that, one, it'll encourage you and two, convince some of you to take the step you know you need to take today in asking Jesus to give you the life you desperately want and need. So let's turn our attention toward the screens and check out Lane's story. I came up in a Christian household. I had a completely stable childhood. My family loved me. I was baptized at an early age at a local Baptist church, and my upbringing was awesome. Now, about 18, 19 years old, I started to fly off the handles a little bit. I got um, into drugs a little bit, but mostly into alcohol. And then as I got older, into my early 20s, it kind of blossomed into more of a mature addiction. Now during this time, I had not gone the traditional route of going to school, I had networked well, and I was given an opportunity doing cold calling at a supply chain and uh, transportation consulting company. And I would do 100 dials a day, and as time went on, I got really good at it. I would make a lot of leads, and I handed off good things to the sales team. And so as time went on, I had more opportunities within this company that was going to grow me into outside sales, and I'd be making a good bit of money. So I had, I had promise, which made handling these addictions, it made me feel like I was still being productive. Well, I was doing so well, at a point, the founder of the company asked me to leave with him to start another consultancy company. I would make the leads, he would close the deals. So he sold his remaining shares to his managing partners and he and I left to do our own thing. So in my mid-20s, I was a 40% owner in this business in Midtown Atlanta and things were looking awesome. I had an administrative assistant, I was on the uh, like the 30th floor uh, in an office in Midtown, it was great. And as uh, time went on, we ended up not closing the clients that we thought we were. And all during this mix, I was certainly partying a lot. But as the money ran out, things got really tight to the point of being locked out of our offices. So my business partner, he was an older gentleman. He had a family and people that he needed to provide for. So he went and found another opportunity. And there I was. I had no job. I kind of burned the bridges with the relationships that I had at this previous company. And I had no real opportunity. And at this point, my addictions, uh, namely alcohol, and then a lot of marijuana as well as other recreational drugs, they were consuming my life. There was a pastor in the area who was planning a church and 
my friend gave him my number. So he kept on calling me and calling me and I ignored him. Finally, I picked up and I told him that I would come and check out his church. So over time, I actually ended up plugging into this Christian community, but none of the gospel had found any traction in my life. I would talk the talk on Sunday mornings and then as soon as I got home, it was uh, back to just drinking. And it would be to the point where before I'd go into church, I would have to drink a bottle of wine just to kind of knock off, like I said, my withdrawal symptoms. And so I was living a double life. Well, there came a point when I decided to do some volunteering for this church. And it was on a Saturday and I was mowing the lawn outside the parking lot. And I ended up getting this lawnmower stuck under the front bumper of a church van. So there's no blade clutch or anything like that. And while it's still running, I go to grab the back right tire and the front left. And I ended up reaching too far with my left hand and I felt a yank. And I looked down and I had ended up severing two of my fingertips. So obviously in all of this, it was horrible. I had no job, I was not in school, and now I had just cut off my fingertips. So I was angry, I was humiliated, I was embarrassed, and in all of this, I realized that I'm just not enough. Money is not enough, status is not enough, these things that I were after were completely empty. And it was in this brokenness that I had my first meaningful encounter with Jesus. And, and a surrender happened. And I realized that my identity was caught up in all of these things, my, my addictions, my ego. And God just told me, your identity is in me now. And with that came a huge amount of freedom. And I'd, I'd love to say that everything just changed right then and there but that is just not how it worked. It was a process, it was a transformation. And I, as I was surrendering these different areas of my life, first the alcohol, uh, then the weed, and I continually did that and God was faithful to bring healing and freedom. So over time, it got to a point that I was completely substance free as I am today, and I could not be happier. But the reality is, is that God did so much more than just break a couple of bad habits in my life. The most important thing was this transformation of my mind. And he gave me a different lens to view the world, and I could genuinely see the effects of sin. I could see addictions ruining lives, relationships, be it broken families, marriages. People needed a sense of healing and freedom all over our culture and all over our world. And this was put heavy on my heart because it is something that I experienced. And so it's a message that I wanted to share, but it's not about me. And it's not about my story, it's about the love 
and the power of a resurrected Christ who is the only one that can bring true change and true transformation. And it's that message that I wanted to, uh, to share. Come on. Listen, uh, Lane, man, I, I just want to ask you because I, I think there are probably people sitting in the seats right now who are where you were. Uh, they walked in and life on the outside, again, it looks great, uh, but really on the inside, man, they're miserable, they're falling apart. Or again, they're, they're those people who, like you, they've reached this place of rock bottom and they're trying to figure out where to go from here. And so in light of what we just heard, man, what God's done in your life, what would you say to those people right now who are where you were? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I just want to say I know what it feels like to be stuck. See, I was so used to failing and disappointing myself that I truly felt like I could never change. And the shame and the guilt was like a weight that I just could not get out from under. But God had different plans. And he has so much for you. But he needs you to loosen the grip on the things that keep you dead and sin. And I mean, I don't care if it's an addiction, if it's a relationship, if it's shame from your past. Jesus is waiting to give you life. So no matter what your circumstance is, no matter what you're walking through, God can use it for your good if you allow him. See, when our dependency is on him and not on ourself, he breaks the dryness. He breaks the monotony of life and he breathes new passion and new purpose into it. So today I pray that you will allow God to begin a work of transformation in your life. I pray that today is the day that you experience freedom and truly come alive in Jesus, knowing that he wants to do amazing things in and through you, things that you might have never thought possible. So when we step out in faith and surrender everything to him, Life takes on a whole new meaning. Come on, man. I I feel like all weekend long, I got to just let him preach. Love it. Here's the reality. Um, Lane's right. And I think there are several of you sitting in the seats right now who know it. Uh, You know that you are the person that we've been talking about all morning. You walked in with no hope, no joy, no peace, no purpose. You need life, and you've heard about this risen Savior who gave his all so that he could give it to you. And if you need to say yes to a relationship with him today so that you can truly come alive, I want to help you do that right now. So all over the room, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and get in their places. And as they come, if you are that person who knows that today is the day you finally need to put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, so that you can come alive in Him. And right now in this moment, just say something like this in prayer to Him. Say, Jesus, I need you to make me come alive. I put my faith in your death on the cross for me. 
I believe that you suffered the penalty of my sin. But I also believe that you rose from the dead three days later to conquer sin, death, and hell on my behalf forever so that I could know new life right now and eternal life with you one day. And so, Jesus, in this moment, would you help me to let go of my life? Help me to die to myself. And would you take hold of my life? Forgive me of all my sins, past, present, and future. And Jesus, would you make me come alive in you? I say yes to you as my Savior and Lord. Listen, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if you just prayed that with me or something like it, I want to ask you to do me a simple favor. It'll take a little bit of courage on your part. But right now in this moment, would you be willing to acknowledge the fact that you made that decision by just lifting a hand? Just sort of real high. James, that's me. I put my faith in Jesus for the first time today. Asked him to become my savior and my Lord. Throw it up real high there. Our prayer team is gonna come and put a resource in your hand. And as soon as you receive it, you can put your hand back down. Anybody else, just throw your hand up real high. What you've done today is nothing to hide. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's something to be celebrated. Anybody else, James, that's me, put my faith in Jesus Christ for the first time today. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, here's what we're going to do. The band is going to come, and they're going to lead us in one final song. And together, regardless of, of whether or not you've known Jesus for years, or if you're a person who just put your faith in him as Savior and Lord, today, right now, together, we're going to celebrate and praise the name of the one who gave his all for us. So God, in the next few moments, would you just continue to stir in our hearts, continue to pour your presence out in this place. God, we love you, we need you, and we are so grateful for all you've done to give yourself freely to us. God, we pray all this in the name of our risen Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond together.